Welcome to church. My name is Danny. I'm the senior pastor here at the church, and it is my privilege to do two things today. One, read our text, which will be John chapter 12. You can start turning there. And two, to introduce our guest speaker, AJ Venegas. Do you guys know AJ Venegas? They know you. See, we're all trusted friends here. AJ and I were talking this week. This uh, pathway to the pulpit for AJ was not a straight line between two points. I don't know if you have a, line that, a life that's not a straight line between two points or if you know what I'm talking about. Last time AJ stood before a crowd this size, he was on a pitching mound, shutting down the Oakland Athletics. as a relief pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I'm gonna let that one go. We're gonna let go that AJ graduated from Stanford as well, uh, which is great. That's a great school. I hear that's a great school, go Bears. But AJ's entire life was crafted towards a future in baseball. He'll tell us about this in the sermon. And yet, as he sat in a, a locker room doing some physical rehabilitation after spring training, God started tapping him on the shoulder and revealing other plans for his life. And so AJ enrolled in seminary, finishes his Master's of Divinity degree this summer, which is a 96-unit master's degree. It's a huge master's degree. AJ felt compelled from the Lord to step into seminary, to step into church ministry, to pursue what God might have for him next. I remember sitting out here and watching AJ be baptized and say, I feel like if I'm gonna really take my faith more seriously, I gotta put on the uniform of the faith and step into baptism. And I called him the next day and said, man, what is your plan? He said, I'm just following the Lord. And so I said, come and hang out. And so now, what, five years later, uh, AJ has been working with a team of us that's been talking about sermon preparation and how to look into the word and study it and draw it out for people. And I've been, I'm, I'm impressed that you went to Stanford. I'm impressed that you're a major league ball player, minor league ball player. I am, I am more impressed at the transformation that God has done in AJ's heart over the last five years. At the conscientiousness with which AJ approaches the Holy Scriptures, at the way that he sees the gospel in all of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, the way that he loves his wife and family, the way that he exudes character as he leads our small group ministry, and at the way that he's been so terrified of preaching the word that I knew he was the right person to ask to come and speak on Palm Sunday. And yet you don't look nervous at all. Hopefully I'll make you a little more nervous right now. So it's been really fun these last few months to work with AJ and some others as we've been helping him craft this sermon for us today. And you are gonna be really blessed by the Lord from what God has put on the heart of AJ and our team as we've talked through these things. And so I'm gonna read the word and then AJ is gonna come on up and share God's word with us today. From John chapter 12, I'm gonna read verses 12 through 16. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. 
the word of the Lord. Well, thanks for that grand introduction. Um, tough act to follow. Oh, man. So, happy Palm Sunday, everybody. Um, if you were following along with that text, we're going to stay in John chapter 12. We're going to take a look at Palm Sunday. We're going to see what we can learn from this text, and then we're going to use that to jump us a little bit forward as the disciples and Jesus move closer and closer to the events of Easter. And so Palm Sunday today, um, it's been an important day for Christians uh, for, for a long time. It's the first day of what we call the Passion Week or the Holy Week. And it's an interesting week because here's this grand entrance for Jesus and yet only a week later on Friday gets nailed to a cross. And then there's the resurrection on Easter. And so if you don't know what Palm Sunday is, that's essentially what it means. Um, if you are familiar with the church or grew up in the church, you may uh, recognize maybe, a, I remember when I was a kid holding a palm branch, waving it in, so all the parents would say, oh, that's cute. Um, not so little anymore, but that's okay. Um, I love this series, Can You See It? Because we get to approach different texts like these that we may be familiar with already, but we're looking at the book of John through the lens of who can actually see what. And so, in light of that, did you happen to catch the last verse that Pastor Danny read? If not, it's John 12, verse 16. Let me read it for you. At first, his disciples did not understand all this, which should immediately trigger some alarms in our mind from the series. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. And so it's helpful to remember that when we come to texts that we're very familiar with already, that in the moment, in the present moment, the disciples had no idea what was happening. Which begs the question, what did they miss? And so for, for a moment here, I wanna step into the shoes of the disciples on that Palm Sunday and, and start to think about how they would have interpreted things. And so here are the disciples, they're approaching J Jerusalem and there's this huge crowd of people waving these palm branches. And so that present moment, the disciples would have looked to their past and remembered that this same event happened already about 100 years ago. It was another sort of nationalistic revolt welcoming in this warrior on a horse with these palm branches, which became the symbol of liberating the nation of Israel from their foreign oppressors. They would have also heard something in the present moment. The disciples would have heard Hosanna, which essentially means save us now. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And again, that, that present moment, they would have reached back into their past and they would have remembered that the crowd is quoting Psalm 118. Psalm 118 was a psalm that was sung by a lot of, uh, in a lot of the festivals that the, uh, the Jews had. But here's the catch about Psalm 118. There's one line in there that doesn't fit. The crowd was saying one line that doesn't fit Psalm 118, and it's this. Blessed is the king of Israel. So it's interesting how the disciples and the crowd, in the moment, they were experiencing something. They were looking into their past to try and interpret what was going on, and then they were projecting into the unknown and putting Jesus into a role 
where he was going to be this king of Israel, this nationalistic revolutionary from their foreign oppressors, namely the Roman government at the time. You see, at first, his disciples did not understand these things. And so I want to take that one phrase and then begin to to draw us closer near to the events of Easter and the cross. John 12, 32 to 34, Jesus is having a, a conversation with the crowd and he says, the son of man must be lifted up. He's predicting his death. And yet the crowd responds, sir, we've read about this, this Messiah figure. Isn't he supposed to remain forever? You see, the crowd at the time didn't understand these things at first. How about another famous scene? There, there's Peter in the foot washing scene, right? In John 13, six to 10. Jesus is washing Peter's feet and Peter goes, Lord, aren't I supposed to be the one that washes your feet? And Jesus responds, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. You see, Peter didn't understand these things at first. Or how about the the betrayal of Judas in John 13, 27 to 28. Jesus says, go and do what you're about to do, but, but the author, John here, in this verse, goes out of his way to say that the disciples had no idea what was going on. They thought it was some sort of money lending transaction that Judas was about to go do. They had no idea. All this being said, I think it's helpful to remember that the disciples are human. They're doing their best to take what is happening to them in the present, they're they're figuring out all these different patterns and using their logic, their understanding to then project what Jesus is trying to do, to project into the unknown, the future, the spiritual matters. Here's a fun example of this. Uh, As Pastor Danny mentioned, I ended up playing minor league baseball for the Dodgers. Um, And, yeah, Rancho. One of the things that I've really sat with, with this dream, I wondered where it came from. Where exactly did this desire come from? And when I thought about it through this lens, I thought about, okay, I have a past pattern of success in this game. I really enjoy it in my past. I had a great time as a a kid playing ball. In the present, I have this desire, this growing desire to compete, to be with my friends, to be out on the field. I, I really enjoy the game. And so what I did is I projected into the unknown, into the future saying, I'm gonna have this grand plan that I wanna be a professional baseball player and it would dictate all my actions, my thoughts for years to come. Yet here's the thing about my own understanding, I could have never predicted that I'd be standing here in front of you guys today giving a Palm Sunday sermon. Right, I think we understand this intuitively, don't we? Like we can't predict the future. We can't see what's going to happen. In the same sense, there are certain times where we can't necessarily see what God is doing behind the scenes. These spiritual matters of of why things happen the way they do. And so that's a a fun example in my life, but but what if that need to press into those future spiritual matters, into the unknown, is a little bit more pressing for you today? What if there's a situation where you have to make a life-changing decision that's right in front of you? And so often the prayer becomes, Lord, if you would just show me that decision that I'm supposed to make, if you would show me that that one thing that I'm supposed to step into, Lord, if you would show me that five-year plan, that roadmap, I can start working today. 
to get there, yet so often the Lord responds, trust me, be with me, stay with me. Or maybe it's, it's not necessarily the future, it's, it's an explanation of what's happening. Lord, what possible reason could there be that you allowed this to happen into my life or, or this to, to take place in my family? Lord, why is this happening to our country? And the Lord responds more often than not, trust me, be with me. And it's frustrating at times because we know that the Lord knows all things. We're pressing into these these spiritual future realities, but here's the harsh reality of the situation. God has intentionally given us a limited field of vision. We ourselves have become disciples that in the moment, we don't understand these things at first. So the question I want to answer in this sermon is, uh, how is God calling us to use this limited field of vision as, as we press forward with him into the unknown of life? I want to do this a couple ways. Um, in the text, we've, we've taken uh, all the way up until what is called the upper room discourse. It's John 14 to 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip there right now or swipe there, I guess. Um, John 14 to 16, it's a famous text that many of us might be familiar with. Um, If not, we're going to go through it, but we're going to take a quick browse over the text. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at it through the lens of who can see what, because I think that's going to illuminate some new realities about the text, about the teachings of the text that are so popular in the church. At the same time, I want to give you guys four points to hold on to today. So if you're writing these down, you can write this first point down. When it comes to the unknown, we are entirely dependent on God's revelation. God's revelation. So you might hear the word revelation, you might be thinking, man, that's a really big theological word. But really all it means is God showing us something that we couldn't have seen before without him. God reveals it to us. You might also be thinking, that's the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And you'd be correct. Um, In in most interpretive circles, the book of Revelation itself is a window into those unknown realities, into that future, into that spiritual matters that have not happened yet, the book of Revelation. Now, I don't know about you guys, but uh, whenever I read the book of Revelation, it's it's really difficult. It, It almost sounds like this one big giant mystery, almost like a riddle that God is giving, right? It's almost like he has some sort of answer and he's giving us all these little clues And we're invited to ask a ton of questions. There's been a ton of questions about the book of Revelation. You know, speaking of riddles, the one thing I really enjoyed doing uh, to pass time since in baseball, there's a lot of time to to pass, um, was giving riddles, giving riddles. And I've given them, I've also received them. But here's, here's the interesting thing. When you're giving the riddle, it's almost like you're inviting your friends to ask all these questions and you're holding on to this one key that once they understand it, it's like that aha moment. Ah, I got it. I get the riddle. On the other side, when you receive a riddle, there's two different responses that people typically have. Number one, if I really like the guy giving the riddle, I'll really enjoy my time. I'll be laughing with him. I'll I'll invite uh, more questions to ask him and it'll be a great time. Alternatively, if I don't really like the person giving the riddle, I'll get really frustrated 
I'll get really frustrated that he's not giving me the answer. He's, he's showing off. So what I'll do is I'll cut off the conversation and I'll go this way. I'll leave. Here's the thing about John 14 to 16. It begins what, what Jesus is going to call a riddle or a figure of speech, essentially a riddle. If you want to check it out, you can flip there. John 13, 31 to 34. And it's fascinating how Jesus begins. He says this, when, when he was gone, referring to Judas, who was about to betray him, Jesus said, here comes the riddle. <laughs> now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once. Okay, pause right there. Your assignment is to memorize that. Say it five times fast tonight. All right. <laughs> Sounds awfully a lot like a riddle. It's a mystery. Something is happening where the son of man is going to be glorified. And that's what the disciples would have heard too. They would have thought, okay, if this is a king, if Jesus is supposed to be a king, then the glorification of this king means he's going to be at the throne. So you got to imagine the disciples were really excited in this moment, right? We've given up our lives for this very moment, Jesus. I'm so excited. You're going to be sitting on your throne. I can't wait for what this riddle has for me. Let's move on to the next line. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. <laughs> if you're a disciple, you're thinking, what? I've given my life for you and now you're going to be glorified and you're just going to throw me out? What in the world? What's going on? Hopefully this riddle gets better. I'm hoping, I'm hoping as a disciple. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So here's the challenge. As a modern reader, you're thinking, oh, greatest commandment, love God, love one another. Awesome teaching, Jesus. But remember, the disciples were limited. They didn't know. And now they're saying, not by being with you, Jesus. I want to be known as a disciple because I'm with you on that throne. Not because I love these band of brothers. I want to be with you. And so the disciples were facing this moment of distress. This moment where the unknown presented some, some difficult challenges. Which brings me to my second point for you to write down today. When the unknown presents difficult challenges, we often try and satisfy our own need for understanding. Watch how this plays out in this famous text, John 14 to 16. It's, it's flavored with the disciples facing this really tough situation and trying their best to press into the unknown. And as we, we talk about these certain disciples, I want to challenge you, pay attention to, to the one that you resonate with most because we all press into these unknown things in different ways. So today, maybe you're like Peter, John 13, 36 to 37. Peter is the one that's always the zealous one, the first one to speak on behalf of the disciples. So it makes sense that he's the first to ask the logical follow-up question. Lord, where are you going? He also asks this, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And so Peter, Peter is, this, is this person who needs that deep purpose, that five-year plan so that he can give his life to it now. He's looking for that next season before he can move forward. Are you looking for that next season today? 
Or maybe, maybe you're not thinking that far down the road. Maybe you're thinking about something that's right in front of you. Maybe you're like Thomas. Thomas in John 14, four to five says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? You know, Thomas is the same one that needed something right in front of him to stick his hand in before he would believe, doubting Thomas. Same Thomas. Maybe you're looking for that next step that's right in front of you. And yet, yet so often when we press into the future, God still challenges us. Stay with me. Be with me. Trust me. Maybe it's not necessarily a future thing that you're pressing into. Maybe it's a spiritual thing, a spiritual answer that you need. Maybe you're like Philip in John 14, 8. Philip, one of my favorite questions in this whole text. Lord, you've been, you've been talking about this relationship you have with the Father. Why don't you just show us the Father? Why don't you just show us the Father? You know, Philip's the same one where Jesus is about to feed the 5,000. He turns to Philip and says, Philip, how are we going to do this? And he looks at his money and he goes, Jesus, I have no idea. You see, Philip is this problem solver. He's looking for that next solution before, before he moves forward. Are you looking for that one thing that, that would make sense to you before you move forward? Or maybe it's not just one thing. Maybe it's a, a bigger set of things. Maybe you're like Judas, who's not Iscariot. Clarify, he's not the one that betrayed Jesus, but here he is in John 14, 21 to 22. He asks, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Why, why, how, how is this all gonna work out? Why are you doing it this way and not this way? Lord, what is the next sequence that you're gonna play out so that I can fit in what I believe to be true? Are you looking for that next, that next solution, that next uh, sequence? And yet, so often, we press into these spiritual realities, into the unknown, and God replies, Trust me, be with me. Which begs the question, are these bad questions that the disciples are asking? Isn't Jesus by giving this figure of speech, inviting the disciples to come into him and ask these type of questions? And to that I would say, well, it depends. You know, just like a, a receiver of a riddle has two different responses, so there are two different responses in scripture. You know, I think of Job who, who famously lost everything and he goes to the Lord saying, Lord, I don't understand, I don't understand. He never gets an answer, but he's commended for it. He's commended for it, for coming to the Lord. Yet there are so many times in the scriptures where people are saying, Lord, I don't understand. I don't understand how I'm supposed to have a kid at such old age, so I'm gonna go my own way. I don't understand how you're gonna feed me in the wilderness, so I wanna go back to Egypt. I don't understand, I'm gonna go my own way. Which brings me to my third point today about the unknown. Yes, come to God with these questions, but keep in mind that we may never be able to understand his plans. The interesting thing about John 14 to 16 is where the disciples end up. In John 16, Verses 16 to 18, Jesus has a, another conversation with them. He says, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me. Sounds a lot like a riddle. Here's the disciples' response. What does he mean by saying, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? 
And what does he mean by saying, because I'm going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. They end up in utter confusion. And so I wonder today in a, in a series called, Can You See It? If there are some people out there that are just saying, Lord, I, I don't know if I can see it because I'm looking into the unknown. I'm looking to things that haven't been given to me yet. And so I feel like I can't see it. And yet every time I press into the unknown, you keep giving me this unsatisfying answer. You keep saying, trust me, but I just want that picture. I just want that little window into your mind, Lord, to start explaining things. And we end up in a state of utter confusion like the disciples. They become disciples that don't understand these things at first. My prayer is that our, our response to this would be, Lord, I don't understand, but I'm still gonna come to you anyway. Yet I fear that a lot of our responses are, hey, I don't understand and I'm really, really frustrated with you, Lord, that you won't show it to me. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go my own way and make you into the Jesus that I want you to be. In essence, we become those people on Palm Sunday, waving that palm branch, saying, Jesus, come, but you're gonna fit into my nationalistic revolt, the, this political figure that I want you to be. You see, his disciples didn't understand these things at first. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Like the key to a riddle, only after Jesus was glorified was he able to come to his disciples to explain to, to them what was written in the scriptures. Only after Jesus was glorified was he able to send his Holy Spirit to give us new eyes to see. You see, unlike the disciples in that conversation, we now live in an era where we have been filled with the Holy Spirit to give us new eyes to see. Which brings me to my fourth point that you can write down today about the unknown. When believers remember the glorification of Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see, not necessarily a perfect window into the future, not necessarily a vision into God's mind himself, but the Spirit gives us eyes to see exactly what we need to see. Exactly what we need to see. And I love this image that the Spirit gives us eyes to see because now we can, we can revisit that past, that present, and that future paradigm that we set up. And so in the past, the Holy Spirit helps us see a past victory in which Jesus has been glorified. A past victory in which Jesus has been glorified. Peter, looking for that next season in life, that big picture, Jesus responds to him in John 14, two to three. He says, Peter, here's what you need to see. You need to see that you're about to deny me three times, so you need to live in the moment. But there's an event coming. There's an event coming that's gonna make it possible for me to go to my father's house and prepare a room for you, and then for me to come back and bring you with me. There's an event coming. In the same way to Thomas, he responds, looking for that next step. Jesus says, there's an event coming in John 14, six that will prove that I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. You see, as, as Christians, we know that, that this event that was to come was the cross. 
You see, Jesus is the way. There, there was a, a problem that was created by sin. There was a separation between God and man. And we learned that there needs to be a sacrifice in order to reconcile that relationship. But we also learned that the animal sacrifices were, were only temporary. They only, they only covered these outside, our outside. And we needed something to change our hearts, change us from the inside. So we needed something eternally pure, eternally perfect, something that would transcend our hearts. And since I have not met anyone in this world eternally perfect, didn't it have to be God himself? And so the word of God becomes flesh in the person of Jesus to shed his blood on the cross and to cover us with his eternally spotless blood. See, Jesus is the way. He's the only way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through him. And if that's all true about Jesus, then Jesus is also the truth. Jesus is the divine word of God become flesh. We can look to him in in a society that's been so hard to find the truth. We can look to his life for the objective truth. He is the purest example of humanity and what it looks like to love and and his teachings ring true forever. His power over this, this dark world is in his life. Jesus is the truth. And if that's the case, Jesus is the life. At the cross, we learned that he defeated the powers of darkness and he rose again on that third day, on that Easter Sunday, saying that same spirit that brought me to life now lives in you as a Christian. And so non-Christian listening either online or here today, if you've never heard that message, I challenge you to to click that prayer button or, or go and talk to somebody outside in the prayer lobby. Because Romans 10.9 says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you can be saved today. Now as a Christian in here, you're probably thinking, okay, I've heard that message about the cross, I've looked to the past, but there still seems to be some sort of disconnect between an event that happened 2,000 years ago and my life today. And this is where the Holy Spirit helps us see a present reality in which Jesus is currently being glorified. See, here's the interesting thing about John 14 to 16. Not once is the cross ever mentioned. You'd think that's that's on the tip of Jesus' tongue, but it's not. He says, I'm more interested in giving my life so that I can make a way to the Father and that me and my Father can make our home inside of my disciples. He's more interested in the ramifications of the cross. So look how he responds to, to Philip looking for that next solution. Lord, show me the Father. In John 14, 11 to 12, he says, believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But don't only believe in that. There's coming a time where there's gonna be works that are, that are greater in this world than what I've done. He also says, not only should you look here, but you should look that I am going to the Father. Because Judas, who's looking for that next salute, or the next sequence, in John 14, 23, here's Jesus' response. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And so there's a reality where Jesus is on his throne, yet we have the Holy Spirit. And so do we recognize that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords today? How does that change our lives? And so with the the past settled with this present reality, we can now look to the unknown. The Holy Spirit helps us look to the unknown, certain 
that Jesus will be glorified. And so the disciples end up in utter confusion. John 16, 20 to 22 is Jesus' response to them. Jesus says, look, in a little while, what's about to happen to me is gonna be really painful for you. You're gonna have a lot of sorrow. But just like a, a woman who gives birth has a moment of pain, yet there's just so much joy when, when an infant is brought into this world. Verse 22 says this, so with you now, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take your joy, take away your joy. You see, we stand in an era where we're waiting for Jesus to come back, just like the disciples were waiting for them to inaugurate a kingdom where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more hurt and our joy won't be taken away from us. That's the revelation that God gives in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21 and 22. You might be thinking, okay, I understand this past, this present, this future vision, the Holy Spirit is working. How does that really help me with my decisions that I have to make? That's, that's vital right now. How does, that, um, how does that explain what God is doing in my life? How does that help me? I wonder if we're asking the wrong questions. I wonder if we're pressing into the unknown too deeply at that point. I wanna give you guys five application points from this teaching. Uh, I wanna start where the disciples end up in this discourse. So John 16, 29 to 30 is where they end up. It'll appear on the screen. Jesus reiterates this sort of riddle. I'm coming, I'm, I'm going, but I'm also coming. His disciples say, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not need, not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. And so a series, uh, can you see it? We should be celebrating. Yes, the disciples claim to finally be able to see. Yet it's interesting the reason that they give, right? Jesus has been saying, I am in the Father and I'm going to the Father. But the disciples say, this is why we think you're God. Number one, you know all things. And number two, you don't need anybody to ask you questions. I'd suggest that the disciples are saving face here. They're claiming to see something that they actually can't. And so this is where I wanna launch us into the application. What do we do from here with this big decision or this big uh, explanation that we need? I think first we have to admit that our vision is limited. I love Jesus' response to the, the, that last disciple's claim to be able to see. He says, look, in a little while, you guys are all gonna scatter. You guys are all out of here. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so this limited vision drives us into a relationship, drives us into dependency, which brings me to this famous teaching in John chapter 15. If you've read this text, you're familiar with it. Abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. John 15, one through 11 talks a lot about this, this language of, of the vine and the branch. And for the longest time, I've really struggled with the word abide. But in the, in the Greek, it simply means stay, remain. And now we know why, because the disciples were pressing into things that were not given to them yet. And so we understand what it means to stay with him, trust him, be with me. 
Right after that abide teaching in John 15 comes another teaching. Adhere to Jesus' command to love. Did you notice that this whole figure of speech, this riddle began with a new commandment, love one another. It's because instead of pressing into the future, we can settle on something in the present, we can love. Who can you love today? If you're facing those big questions, who can you love today? What's the most loving thing you can do? Here's a teaching that that kind of feels like a misfit, but once you understand the disciples' motivation, it, it sort of fits in. Number four, anticipate persecution. And at first glance, it, it seems mysterious why this falls here, but if we remember that the disciples started pressing into the unknown when they had their backs against the wall, that's when it all started. That's when they all started to press for things that were not meant for them. But what if we can anticipate it, knowing that we follow a Lord that went to a cross? Our lives are not going to be easy. And if we start anticipating that we've, we're going to be persecuted, we can learn how to, how to abide and how to love Jesus in the moment. Which finally brings me to this last application point, and it's all theologians, all people in scripture come to this text for this very reason, and it's this. Allow the Holy Spirit to help. Watch how this plays out, it's so beautiful. If you're looking for that next season, be reminded that the Spirit will be with you now and forever, John 14, 16 to 17. If you're looking for that tangible next step, be reminded that the Spirit will bring remembrance of all that Jesus has said, John 14, 26. If you're looking for that next solution, Lord, show us the Father. Be reminded that the Holy Spirit himself proceeds from the Father and testifies about who Jesus is, John 15, 26. If you're looking for that next sequence, that next window into God's very mind, be reminded that the Holy Spirit is working now to convict people of their sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, John 16, eight through 11. And finally, if you find yourself in utter confusion, be reminded that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. He will glorify Jesus and he will take what is Jesus's and declare it to you, John 16, 13 to 14. How did somebody set their mind on a career like professional baseball end up at a place right here today in front of you guys? The more I've thought about it, the more I'm convicted that the Holy Spirit has just simply grabbed and reoriented my vision completely. You see, instead of looking at my past pattern of success, I began to see my past patterns of failure. And I I began to, to long for a way to be reconciled with the Father And so I look to the scriptures that that document all of human history and I look that it's pointing to Jesus as the way. And so with that reality, I I have to change what I think about my present. Am I gonna act on on what's on my heart, what I think is my truth, or the truth that is in the scriptures, that Jesus is, is king, he's sitting on his throne at the right hand of the Father right now and that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I have a decision to make in the present. But if this is true, I can abide in him. I can adhere to the command to love. I can anticipate that my life is gonna look like my savior's. And so as I press on into the unknown, you know, I may get zapped by this mysterious vision that I receive, but I don't don't need it. 
because I know in the end that Jesus is leading me toward life and life abundantly and that God in the end will be glorified. So today can I pray with you guys that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit to change the way we look at our lives, to change the way we look at the unknown. So Father, we come to you just like the psalmist does, wondering what, what in the world is going on. I look around me and I, I, I just can't understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Lord, help us admit that, that our vision is limited, that we, we can't necessarily see those things. But Lord, you reign on your throne right now and you've sent us the Holy Spirit to help us and so, Lord, fill us with that spirit when, when we're trying to figure out the unknown. Fill us with that Holy Spirit. Pray for anybody today that hasn't heard that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That the spirit would be working in them and that they would take a next step toward you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so would you glorify Jesus with me as we step into worship?